Hello, and welcome to Bibliophiles, a podcast where you get to sit in on conversations about books and reading with the ultimate book lovers, librarians. In each episode, we'll explore a theme and tell you what we're excited about reading right now. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Bibliophiles. Today, we're talking about book-to-screen adaptations, uh, big screen or small screen. Uh, it's a topic on which I have lots of controversial opinions. Woohoo! <laughs> this is your host, Jen Webb. And uh, let's uh, go around the room and introduce ourselves. And I'm going to put people on the spot and ask them what book they are longing to see on the screen. Megan. Um, hi, I'm Megan. I'm the programming librarian. Um, I really want to see. So it's been adapted, but never to my satisfaction. Does that count? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Breaking the rules. Okay. Um, I guess I break the rules in most of the podcasts. So um, I would love to see Persuasion by Jane Austen adapted in a way that is actually to my satisfaction. Oh, very interesting. Um, I feel like in the adaptations I've seen, I either feel like they've miscast Anne or Wentworth, but like at different times. It's like Anne is miscast, but Wentworth mm. is great, or Wentworth is not great and Anne is good. And I just want them to be together. Like, good actors in the world together. <laughs> oh, we may have to throw down because the 1995, <laughs> the 1995 Persuasion, I think, is one of the best It's very good. Ever. Okay. Well, okay. It just doesn't do it for me. Okay, we're going to hit pause on that. <laughs> Kate. Well, I had prepared mentally coming into this, like, what is my favorite book to screen adaptation? And now I have to come up with one that hasn't been made. So I'm going to go with one that I actually mentioned in the previous podcast, and hopefully, readers, you will now read it if you haven't before, <laughs> is uh, M.K. Jemison's Brilliant, the fifth season. Uh, the second book in the series is out now. It is a brilliantly told, uh, the first line of the book is, the end of the world. Um, it has three parallel narratives that you know something's wrong, and it's multicultural, brilliant fantasy world building where, yeah, the world is coming to an end and there are people made out of stone, and just the way that I've visualized it is so stunning. I want to see see it and share have that story shared in a visual way. Mm. That sounds like a good a good follow-up project for, like, the next Game of Thrones type thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt. Earlier this year, or last year, I can't remember, but uh, Thomas Pynchon's Inherent Vice was adapted into film by Paul Thomas Anderson, and that, in the scope of most other Thomas Pynchon books, is rather light in its uh, complexity, um, trademark complexity and whatnot. But I felt like it was really adapted well. So I'd like to see one of the, like, V or Gravity's Rainbow, which are much larger, maybe adapted into, like, a TV series. And um, it would be cool. Like, I felt like Paul Thomas Anderson really captured the book well. So. I don't know how he would do on TV, but I would, I would like to see that translated. Yeah, interesting. It reminds me of a, a thing I want to break up, break up, bring up later. <laughs> what is what is English? What are words? <laughs> uh, which is adapting the unadaptable, or mm. you know, why do, are there some things that just can't be adapted? Ooh, I have one. To My answer is yes, but yeah, first, yeah, let's introduce yeah. Diane, the final member of our circle. Hi, my name's Diane, library technician extraordinaire. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other night I was just flipped, flipped on a Hallmark channel. And of course, they're running Mrs. Miracle or whatever, all the Christmas stuff is yeah, out, yeah. you know what I mean? And I wait in anxious anticipation for the latest Jennifer Chiaverni 
um, historical novel to come out, and she puts mm -hmm. one out about every six months. And her latest one was Fates and Traitors, which is a fictional story about John Wilkes Booth, mm. the assassin, mm. and his romance that he had with a senator's daughter. And I'm like on the Hallmark Channel thinking, this is such, this book should be adapted for the Hallmark Channel to replace Mrs. Miracle, which is not nearly as good as any of Jennifer Chiarani. She did Mrs. Lincoln's Dressmaker, mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. Grant and Madame Jewel, and all these other ones. The other one was um, Christmas Bells about Henry Wadsworth, Longfellow. And these are all great, and they are meant for the Hallmark Channel. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's right. a whole slew of them that they haven't tapped into. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see Christmas those. related? The Christmas Bells mm -hmm. one, which was a poem based mm -hmm. on Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Because at first I thought you were suggesting a John Wilkes Booth romance movie for Christmas, which I think <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> I was imagining that as well. I would watch that, that on the Hallmark maybe Channel. Maybe not for Christmas. <laughs> you know, we could do I would that totally in March. Watch that that when sounds it's a like my slow. kind of Christmas. Yes. Right, though, so Kate, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's all I, this drama behind this. I want world strongman competitions for Christmas, mm -hmm. so this actually yeah. sounds more seasonable. <laughs> But no, that, actually, that sounds really good because I don't think John Wilkes Booth has been explored all that much on film. Maybe I'm wrong, but not it seems like knowledge. a story that's ripe yeah. for the telling. Yeah. Good call, Diane. We had a whole mm -hmm. romantic side to him. Yeah, no? Diane gets ten percent. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I feel like we should be seeing like a lot more, you know, really exciting stories about the founding fathers or about history, yeah. you know, great historical figures. You know, hopefully Hamilton will start a trend and we'll get like good juicy adaptations of, I don't know, yeah. yeah. Jennifer Chiavarni has so many great, and they're all like based on the Civil War um, mm -hmm. historical figures from mm -hmm. that era, and uh, they're just great. Yeah, that could be a good. But well, they did remake Roots, so yeah, yeah. possibly there should be more. A new, new kind of North and South kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I love North. Mm. I neglected to say what book I'm waiting to be adapted, and um, even though I sort of feel like you're always doomed to be disappointed by any adaptation of books you love, I am still waiting for my Dragon Riders of Pern movie or TV series. I feel like I probably will be waiting forever, but I've been waiting since I was a little girl. <laughs> that is such a good idea. I just really want the dragons. More dragons. I mean, they've got all those people who have now mastered dragons for Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like, they're going to need a job when this is yeah. over. Yeah, I mean, the, the technology has caught up. I mean, I think Anne McCaffrey even <laughs> said that uh, she wouldn't want it to be adapted until the uh, special effects had caught up so that they would look decent. But I feel like we are now at that time. Agreed. The problem is, does anyone except me still want this to happen? <laughs> I do. Everybody in this room. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yes, and we're certainly representative of the American community. Well, we have great taste. So, <laughs> so um, I'm going to lead off with my controversial opinion, which is that I feel like for the best experience, you should always watch the movie first. And then oh. read the book. Oh. <laughs> I brought this up earlier, and there were gasps of shock. Um, because we are a room full of librarians, and we really do believe in reading the book. I'm not saying that you shouldn't read the book. You should definitely read the book. What I'm saying is that you should see the movie first. Because if you read the book and then see the movie, you will always, always be disappointed. Because the movie is not going to look like what you imagined. 
um, unless you get really, really lucky. Or there's going to be some little line of dialogue you were waiting for that's not there, or some little change. Um, but my favorite adaptations, well, with some exceptions, but my favorite adaptations generally are ones where I saw the movie first, loved the movie, and then went and read the book and was like, there's so much more. Because you always get more with the book. So reading the book afterwards can only always be a positive, because you're like, here's all this other stuff that they didn't have time for in the movie. But because you enjoyed the movie as its own piece of art, then you're not sitting there the entire movie comparing. So for instance, Love and Friendship, which I think we talked about, uh, I had not read Lady Susan before I went to see it. And so I loved Love and Friendship and it was terrific. Um, and then I went and read Lady Susan. And that actually is like a pretty faithful adaptation. But you realize that uh, in Love and Friendship, he makes up most of the dialogue out of whole cloth mm-hmm. um, because it's an epistolary novel or unfinished uh, novella, whatchamacallit. Um, and so he made all this stuff up. And if I had read Lady Susan, I would have been thrown out of it by the made up dialogue that's not actually in the book. Whereas this time, this way, I didn't care because they were two very different experiences, although they were related. And of course, Cold Comfort Farm, which I talk about basically every episode, and we'll keep talking about every episode, which is an incredibly fabulous movie, also starring the criminally underrated and underemployed Kate Beckinsale, uh, is a fantastic movie, but they changed a lot. They got rid of characters, they completely changed the role of a character, they kind of smushed a lot of stuff together, uh, but it's a terrific movie. And then when you read the book, it's like the world opens out in all these other ways which you didn't even know about. Uh, and I think actually, like, I mean, a movie is a very different art form from a book. And if you try to be too faithful, you're just not going to end up with a good movie. And you're also still going to disappoint the readers because <laughs> you could never be, no matter how faithful you are, somebody will have imagined it differently while reading. You're so, going to disappoint someone. So one of the, my favorite book to movie adaptations is one of the most absolutely faithful out there. Hmm. Um, and I enjoyed both forms. It's um, a, The Martian, mm-hmm. which I think most people in this room have read. Um, I read the book. It was actually passed from hand to hand in the reference department as everybody devoured it. And when the movie came out, it is spot on, like, exactly the book. I think there's two scenes that are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, you, when I went and saw it in the theaters, there was a moment that they, I won't spoil the thing, he's on Mars, um, there's a thing that goes wrong in the book that doesn't in the in the movie, and all of the people in the movie theater, about half of us, tensed up, mm-hmm. and then the thing didn't happen. Like, <laughs> that was like the biggest change. Mm-hmm. And I thought because they had the budget to really commit to it, the movie was brilliant. It was as brilliant as the book, and they are really the same thing. There's not the sort of adaptation that you see as we're talking about adaptations, and not the adaptation that you see in Harry Potter where they changed stuff mm-hmm. and the Hunger Games mm-hmm. where they changed quite a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. See, I disagree about The Martian. I didn't oh. hate the movie, but I found I was disappointed in the movie because the movie didn't have enough of the protagonist's voice, which is what I really enjoyed about the book. Mm-hmm. The book, you know, you're, it's all narrated by this really funny, snarky mm-hmm. guy, and in the movie it was just like lots and lots of scenes of sweeping Mars landscapes and lots and lots of scenes of wind blowing across the red rocks, and there was just not enough talking. So you lost all of that funny narration. I mean, there was a little bit of it, 
but there just could have been so much more. And like, I, I hesitate to say there should have been more voiceover. <laughs> that's yeah. not generally something I would say, but there really should have been more voiceover. And so I thought the movie was just like a fine, okay I movie. Loved it. But to me, it did not do the book justice. But that's the problem. You know, I read yeah. the book first. Yeah. Which, that's a good you know, yeah. generally I should have not have done. I bet I would have liked the movie a lot more had I not read the book first. And been looking for the snark. And maybe that's yeah. the way that we also mm-hmm. yeah. we all not, experience some things Some of us different. are having it roll in our head while we're watching the movie. Oh, definitely. And mm-hmm. you probably didn't have it rolling in your head mm-hmm. when you were watching the movie. Because when mm-hmm. you read the book, you get that. And it just follows along with the book, so you Mm -hmm. have that whole role playing in your head while you're watching. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel compelled to respond to the watch the movie first Mm -hmm. comment. Please do. Um, So I was was raised in a household that had an actual rule that you were not allowed to see movies based on books until you read the book. Ah. This was enforced from a very young age, Mm -hmm. so like... I remember the first time it became a real problem was when I wanted to go see the Count of Monte Cristo adaptation because there were very handsome men with sword fights and I was like, yes, my like adolescent mind is like dying for this. And my dad stopped me from going to the mall with my friends and handed me a giant thick book and I was so pissed at him. <laughs> and I was like, dad, you can't be serious. And he was like, you have to read this before you go see the movie. And so I did. <laughs> I read the whole thing, and I was miserable doing it because I just <laughs> wanted to see the hot guys fight with swords. Mm-hmm. But um, I have, like, absorbed that rule so into, like, who I am that I do, like, I like even I really want to see that movie Arrival, mm-hmm. but it's based on a short story. So, like, I have to get my hands on the short story and read it before this weekend when we're going to go see it. Because I'm like, oh, I need to read it beforehand. Like, <laughs> I'm breaking the rules. Like, um, <laughs> Well, let me ask but, you this. How many books are better than the movie? And wouldn't you say about, I would say about 85% of books are better than the movie. There's think, a very small portion of movies yeah. who do it better than the book. Yeah, and I think part of it was my parents just wanted us to, A, be aware that they were based on books, and B, like... They just wanted to encourage us to read, which is ridiculous because I read all the time anyways. Like, it's not like I needed extra encouragement to read, but... Um, except for the Count of Monte Cristo. Except for the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> but there were hot guys with swords, Kate. Like, Did you was, get to see the movie? I did, like, months later, because uh, it was out of theaters by the time I finished this super long book. book. <laughs> um, but then it also, like, I don't know that I would have actually sat down and read The Lord of the Rings because I didn't think of myself as a fantasy reader, but I wanted to see the movies, so I sat down and read all of them and then wow. fell in love with it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it definitely did open up my reading as well because I would mm-hmm. read things that I didn't normally read in order to see the movies with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, most, I, I mean, I think that most books are far superior to the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There are some adaptations that I think are, like, really great adaptations like um one of the adaptations i think stands as like a perfect piece of art and then the book itself is also wonderful is the princess bride Mm. um and that actually that's when i saw the movie like a hundred times before i ever read the book Mm -hmm. Um, and i mean that's one of my favorite movies of all time yeah Mm -hmm. it's a classic it's so good (laughs) um and then the book itself is so funny and wonderful and and different from the movie but 
perfect in its mm-hmm. own way. You note here that it's a beloved movie where most people saw the movie first and then read the book. <laughs> <I'm just saying. laughs> like the reason we think that books are always better than movies is that we usually read the books first. You might have a point, yeah. but the, the thing it's is, so the hard problem for is, me to you do. know, it's a, it's a, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? You know, books and movies shouldn't be in competition with each other. They're completely different art forms. Yeah. So you know, a book. A book and a movie, you know, it's not really a question of what's better. You know, there, yeah. it's whether, you know, was it a successful book? Was it a successful movie? True, true. Matt, I With, see you want to say something. Well, because I saw The Shining, then read The Shining. And I know that that book is polarized, or that whatever story is polarized because some people hate the movie, whatever. Mm. But to me, they were just in, like, I respected both formats. And I think that they're both brilliantly done. I mean, Kubrick obviously does whatever he wants in his adaptation, but it's it's almost like The Shining book is like more comedic. I don't know mm. if anyone agrees with me, maybe mm-hmm. like sadistic or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, the it it's less focused on just the horror like Kubrick's film is, and mm-hmm. in a, in an opposite way, um, a lot of like Philip K. Dick's stories are turned into movies like Scanner Darkly, Blade Runner, uh, Mm -hmm. Minority Report, Total Recall. Mm -hmm. Um, And I read stories before seeing the movies, but I think that the movies end up being way better because, at least in the instance of Philip K. Dick, I think he's conceptually a fantastic writer because he's writing about all this weird, like, what's reality? What's uh, blah, blah? it comes across as like maladroit in like his I don't know I, I've never liked his writing style but I, I love the concept so it's this like weird dissonance while I'm reading it but the movies mm. seem to translate it like Total Recall and Blade Runner are some of my favorite movies as goofy as Total Recall is <laughs> I mean the originals I, don't, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the new renditions but and I love mm-hmm. the original Total Recall. It's a great movie. <laughs> I think is that what the a one big with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so good. Harken back to the so um, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, those men with swords kind of mm-hmm. angle. Well, it's just no. It's just like that movie is just so good. But I think what you're hitting on is exactly like what a good adaptation does. Is it captures like the spirit mm-hmm. and the theme of a story and translates mm-hmm. it really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like all the ones that I kind of wrote down that I thought captured that were like great adaptations I think they definitely make changes from the book but they retain like the tone and the themes really well and in some t- in some cases I think they even are better at ex- like mm-hmm. exploring those yeah so lay some examples so. on this well obviously Princess Bride which I already mentioned um, I think the first Bridget Jones's Diary movie is a really good adaptation of that book huh, you know I never actually saw um, the movie I have I did read the book back in <laughs> at the height of its popularity. I think it's a great adaptation. I think it captures each character, it captures them, and in some cases it like, dials per- certain parts of their personality up and certain parts down, but I think it captures like who all these people are supposed to be and their relationships well, um, and it gets like the kind of comedic and sad and real tone, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, another adaptation that I think worked really well is High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which changed a lot of stuff from the. I mean, like the location because I've seen the movie but not Mm -hmm. read the book. Yeah, I've never read the book either. Mm -hmm. So I, so I, I mean, I've seen the movie you know a bunch of times, and I actually thought of it because I was like in a hotel a couple months ago, and it was like we were like flipping through channels in the hotel, and it was on, and I was you know had a soft spot for it because like the movie is based in Chicago in like a neighborhood Mm -hmm. where I used to hang out, and I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, like. I remember that area and it like has a lot of nostalgia factor but um I think it does cap even though like the book is set in London of course like I think the it's not really about where he lives it's about like the idea of the obsession and the idea of fixating mm-hmm. on things and like mm-hmm. hating yourself a little bit yeah like, it's about kind of who he know, is and where he yeah. is at his time yeah, of life like, which is a very kind of universal exactly and mm-hmm. like so that it trans I think they translate that so well into the movie I um, love that movie yeah. I've always intended to read the book. The book is really good, and I mean, the book... I mean, so many... Like, Nick Hornby is another author where, like, so many of his books have been turned into mm-hmm. movies. And he also um, does screenwriting. And he does screenwriting, so. so I think he knows how to structure a story, even in a novel, that, like, translates mm-hmm. well to screen. But um, the book is really good, and it's definitely its own thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think Laura, the love interest, is, like, way more fleshed out in the book, mm-hmm. and she's more sympathetic in the book. Not mm-hmm. that she's unsympathetic in the movie, but I think you really mm-hmm. kind of care more about her in the book. Yeah. Um, in the movie, there's often not time really yeah. to really give you the inner life of more than one character. Yeah. I mean, especially that movie is so tightly focused. It's all kind of yeah. through his eyes. Exactly, yeah. But I do think it's a great adaptation. Mm-hmm. Did you say you read the book of that first, or did you see the movie first? Um, that one I probably saw. Gosh, you're probably <laughs> examples are giving me right. I did see the movie High Fidelity first, and then I read the book. Gosh, I man. Were you guilty? Were I'm, you like, guilty? questioning everything. Excellent. Gosh. I'm rubbing my hands together with glee. Well, oh. well now we're, you're not going to have to do this. Oh. I'm also seeing the movie Arrival this weekend. Mm-hmm. One of us should read the, the short story. Yes. One of us should. Yes. About? What is it's it? about aliens. It's a sci-fi. And commu- yes. Okay. And communication. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we'll do cooperation. Con- we're going to do a controlled study. <laughs> That's totally what that means, right? <laughs> I'm already biased to read the book, to read the short story, because uh, my partner's friend is the script writer. Oh, wow. Um, which is annoying my partner, John, endlessly that we have not already gone out and seen it since it's been out five days. Mm. Um, but his his friend was the adapted it to the screen that's and actually so cool. just walked off oh, that's the, so cool. the project to adapt Sandman into one movie. What? What? Yeah, mm. there is a plan out there to adapt the entire ten-book series of Sandman into I thought into they were going to make a show one Sandman. Movie. Yeah, that should be a show. Okay, wow. Yeah. Welcome to Bad Idea Theater. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that should be a show. Yeah. Yeah. Why did a, people try to adapt really, to things that are a really not... good show that lasts like ten seasons? Mm. Yeah, there is a show. Outlander, right? They yeah. did yeah. Outlander, right? Mm-hmm. They, they should just do it right. Or but can, one thing that I have to say that was a terrible adaptation, and I don't want to go down the terrible adaptation, but it's so blatantly well, obvious. T- well, t- I have to put our toe in the pond and yeah. then pull it out. Oh, okay. go well, down that road. Yeah, I encourage you to go down it. I mean, <laughs> so many people read Unbroken. You read mm. Unbroken, and you say, okay, that is a phenomenal story, but there is just too much here to ever make into a movie. Mm. And then Angelina go- Jolie goes in there and tries to tackle it. And our family decided, okay, we're going to go watch it for Christmas. We all had read the book. Great. Let's go see it for Christmas. And she just skims and does bits Mm. and pieces. And then right 
in the end. And there, there were so many good shark scenes, too. I'm like, <laughs> I need the good shark scenes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And those were totally, like, there was only a couple scenes. And that's like a quarter of the book is in the ocean dealing with the sharks. She cuts to the Japanese uh, prison camps there and then ends it. Like right there at the end. You don't even get to the part where he goes on, he gets married, he has all these troubles with drinking and yeah. his redemption. I mean, hmm. she just cut off half the book, which of course she cut off half the book. You have two hours and you need to do and a major, it is, well, it would be like a non, 10 part series. That's the big mm -hmm. problem with nonfiction you know? adaptations is, I think for me the ones that really work well as films are things that are you know a small, tight story mm. like like uh, Everest, mm -hmm. which ad adapted Krakow's uh, Into Thin Air. It's you know a small cast of characters. It's a small contained event of climbing Everest, making really bad decisions, um, mm -hmm. and having enough a little bit at the end that you can have the epilogue of who ended up living. Right. <laughs> um, yep. Many of yeah. them. Yep. Um, <laughs> But like the long sweeping epics, yeah, I feel like they really uh, the new movie that's in theaters now. It's the Mel Gibson produced one. Oh, um, Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. I I haven't seen it because as I'm okay with gore. I've heard that it's a bit too gory even for my tastes. Mm. But it's a it's a true story, and I feel like that type of thing where it's you know the origin story, the heroic moment res resolution. That can be jammed into two hours, but mm -hmm. to have like Unbroken, which had many swells of arcs of the character, right. mm -hmm. that's a tough sell, especially for like a she's she's a new director. Mm -hmm. And and you know you read the book and you are so satisfied with the book, mm -hmm. and you feel like okay, this is as far as this can go because you can't take this into a movie. It just it's so encompassing and so detailed. You can only get that. Uh, everything from that book uh, in that format. You can't put it in a movie. There's too mm -hmm. much to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows that. Now, I don't know why Angelina Jolie didn't get it. <laughs> I haven't forgiven her for that. <laughs> oh. well, it's, from the interviews I saw when she was making that, it was a she fell so in love with the story that she mm -hmm. wanted to find a medium to bring that story to more places. Mm -hmm. People. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to go out and see a movie that's kind of depressing and inspiring that are not going to pick up like a 400 page book and read right. it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is, you know, when, when a book gets really popular and everyone loves it, you know, automatically someone's going to try to make a movie of it or mm -hmm. seven movies of it or whatever, right. whether or not it's a good idea. Yeah. And then, you know, if it has a big enough following, they'll be like, well, we can't cut anything out, so we're going to have to make this book into two movies or three <laughs> movies. Oh, then yeah. not everything needs to be a trilogy. Yes. Yeah. We're Especially into two parts. Speaking of a trilogy that they are ad, um, adapting and I think has promise, mm -hmm. um, the Oryx and Crake trilogy by Margaret <gasps> Atwood, they're making it into an HBO series <laughs> and is being directed by Darren Aronofsky, who did Black oh, Swan. Oh, wow. And oh it is going to be so good. I am so excited. <laughs> by the way, tomorrow is Margaret Atwood's birthday. Happy birthday. I love Happy you. Birthday. Happy birthday, Margaret. We love you so much. Please come <laughs> save us from ourselves. You always like write amazing things that inspire They're me to be so a better human. so weird and out there, and I'm so excited. I know, because if you haven't read Oryx and Crake, you have to. They're so good. 
It's like what happens when genetic engineering and goes really wrong. goes really really wrong, and like evil science genius, and you just <laughs> have to read it. It's so good, but it's and um, there's three books and it's a trilogy, but they're making it into a TV series, which is great because mm-hmm. I mean just the first book alone could be like two seasons is of the series. Mm-hmm. It it's dark. Yeah, it's, it's, it's dark. Yeah. But um, but I mean I think in the way that Margaret Atwood often writes, like there's flashbacks and the flashbacks. I mean they're they're foreboding. But they're not like scary. I mean, it's not like a horror. I mean, well, it's mm-hmm. it's horror in that it, this dystopia. could happen. It's yeah. dystopia. It's not dystopia like the te- like the wave of teen dystopia. Like this. Yeah. Is, this is like this is science, mature science dystopia. Mature science dystopia. Like, oh, mm-hmm. what would happen if? What would happen like, if genetic engineering really wrong mm-hmm. with like the power of like a company like Apple behind it? Oh, you know, like yeah. it's it's really fascinating. I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited for that adaptation, yeah. and I think it was definitely the right choice to make it into a, a series. And mm-hmm. the fact that they have Darren Aronofsky doing it, I think it's going to be great because I think he's really good at that sort of like twisted dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not sure sometimes, what's wrong, but something's sometimes wrong. Sometimes the right director or a performance can really make the make a huge difference in an adaptation. Yeah. I mean, like with The Shining, yeah, you have Kubrick and Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not about to make mm. a big fool of myself. Mm. Yes. Um, and that performance is iconic. Really I mean, well. I've never seen it, and I can picture, you know, but I can picture in my head. I've seen, I've seen clips of it enough. I know, you know, mm-hmm. like, that like, really sticks in your mind. Jen, you gotta see that. I, well, I mean, it's not... Hundred percent, my thing. Yeah, really? you like, probably. I don't. I don't know that you would enjoy it. Yes. Well, I do like gentle English comedies. <laughs> it's like, no, that's like I kind of like. A, yeah, so I mean, I think a book that's like a nice warm cup of tea. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Soothing. Yes. I'm looking for some of those right mm-hmm. now. So when mm-hmm. this is over, please give me some recommendations. <laughs> um, I think adaptations. I mean, so many movies. What you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. like. So many movies are based on books now. It feels mm-hmm. like nobody just writes a movie anymore. Mm-hmm. So I sort of agree. I think they should, like, take a break and, like, stop mm-hmm. trying to adapt movies. Yeah. Like, make well, movies. especially, like, they should stop... They should stop adapting every single young adult novel in the world. I am still so mad. And I never actually saw this movie, but there's a wonderful young adult novel called Blood and Chocolate about a female werewolf, which you never really get. Uh, and it's just a terrific book. And somebody got the rights, and they made a movie, which I've not seen, but has absolutely nothing to do with the book at all. They changed the setting. They basically changed everything except kind of the basic trappings. And it bombed. And it's like, now it's, you know, tarnished the reputation of the book. Mm. And you're like, why would you do that? You know, A, mm. I mean, it was sort of like, you could have made a movie of this book. It wasn't like a hugely popular book, but it would have been yeah. cool. But then, like, you make a crappy movie out of it and just kind of doom it, the movie and the book, to obscurity forever. And, you know, so many, every single, it seems like lately every young adult book that's at all popular is getting mm-hmm. made into a movie. And it's like, you no, know, was anyone asking for a movie of this book? Yeah. And especially with teen readers who are likely to have read the book, they are inevitably going to be disappointed. Yeah. And you're like, was there a point to making this movie? Did you have something to say as a movie about it? One of my favorite Guilty Pleasures YA series, um, Vampire Academy, yes, it has a dumb title. Um, <laughs> really kind of trashy covers, but it's such a good Guilty Pleasure series. 
It's fun. It's the Academy of Vampires and Half Vampires called Dampiers, <laughs> um, who are the bodyguards. Yes, it sounds dumb, but like it's a really great series that actually focuses, of all things, on female friendship, mm-hmm. which I think that and you know the sexy Russian guy. Um, but I don't think that there's enough focus on female friendship in a lot of like adult fiction or young, young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. And I was all excited to watch the movie. I last I watched it on demand. I lost, lasted 10 minutes, and that was it. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Mm-hmm. And it makes me not even... There's a spin-off series um, from Vampire Academy called Bloodlines, and it makes... Like, I read the first one. It makes me almost not want to read the others, but mm-hmm. even though the books are so good, it just mm-hmm. it gives me this bad flavor and, like, thinking yeah. of this dumb movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're just a rush to make a profit. They don't really yeah. take the time. You have to really invest the mm-hmm. time to write a quality screenplay. Mm-hmm. And a yeah. lot of people, like when the book is hot, you know, like you with The Martian, there's obviously a rush to get that movie out. And the movie was decent. I mean, I, yeah. I agree with you. And they actually were tr- was true to the script, as you say, so it came out okay. But that's rare. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. is the thing because you yeah. want to strike while the iron's hot, so you crank out a screenplay mm-hmm. and it's low quality. Yeah, don't even get yeah. me started about how yeah. Hollywood undervalues <laughs> screenwriters and <laughs> no one can write a film anymore. Matt, well, <laughs> save I, me no, for myself. No, because I, I really, I really agree too. But I think two things at play are that there are a lot of critically acclaimed movies or like classic movies that are based on books. Mm-hmm. Whether or not the books are memorable, like Jaws, like I, I don't, I feel like the the film is more remembered, or The Godfather, or something mm-hmm. like that. So there's that influence there. But then I think like in uh, sorry, this is like gonna be like I just English 101. Get on your soapbox. <laughs> Go for it. But like, reading is is like such a visually intensive. Maybe all of us don't want to adapt it into a movie or lack the technical prowess, but somebody who reads like a really good book, maybe it isn't so fatalistic and pessimistic as we're <laughs> maybe kind of portraying it, but like, I mean, just that basic thing when you're really into a book and you're just, it's like you're not even aware that you're reading like words. You're mm-hmm. like just hallucinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're seeing it in your mind. Yeah, exactly. Really yeah. intensely. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, that I can imagine. If you had the access or the, the capability that you would want to turn everything possible mm-hmm. that you read into a movie, yeah. whether or not it's a yeah, I'm being I think we're, I'm being unfair to <laughs> a lot of like you know a lot of people in Hollywood or you know even outside of Hollywood who were really passionate about a book and that's why they wanted to make the movie. You know, it's not always just a cash grab. Well, I, w- I have one that I haven't thrown out there sure. yet. And I don't know how many of you have seen The Painted Veil. It's one of my top five movies of mm. all time. And it's based on a book, um, Somerset Mogham's The Painted Veil. Mm-hmm. And what it's about, um, it's a beautiful story of a self-absorbed woman who lives in England with her family. And it's like her younger sister gets married. She has no option. She has to get married. There's a lot of like uh, that Jane Austen undertones there. Family drama. Family drama. Mm -hmm. The development of the characters, Mm -hmm. you know, where she starts out as such a shallow person Mm -hmm. and has a frivolous affair, and at the end, you know, after working in the orphanage with these children, 
fantastic rendition of the book, and the way that they end it is better than the way it's end, it Sorry. ends in the book. Mm -hmm. So I, I have highly to, recommend it. I have to ask, did you see the movie first, or did you read the book first? <laughs> Absolutely saw the movie. Okay, and I, I feel like I would recommend. Yeah, the movie. I, feel I wonder if you might be right, Jen, and it's like upsetting my whole. Life. <laughs> like sorry, Megan's parents. <laughs> oh well, it's really my dad's fault. My yeah. mom gets off scot free on this one. She let us. She would let us if we told her that we were going to see a thing. She would kind of be like, "Don't tell your dad," and then she would let us go. But um, <laughs> I wonder if yeah. in the, with the painted veil, if if it was the performances that. In particular, that bring well, it to life. The performances can 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 completely ruin things. Like, I saw the Count of Monte Cristo movie. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> and then I later read the book yes. because it's it's John's favorite book. We went to Chateau d'If when we were in France. He nerded out, and <laughs> I offered to buy him the book. And oh my God, is it large? Like it's huge. It's really good. It's There's like a whole section where they just go to the opera and they describe the opera. Yeah. When you're 12, you don't care. Of those valleys mm -hmm. um, and the plants. Oh, but yeah. But don't you think that it's about taking the time to find the right person for that character mm -hmm. yeah. so that when you see them on screen, you say that that's that person? Ed mm -hmm. Norton in The Pain and Veil is the bacteriologist. Mm -hmm. He is the bacteriologist. He's perfect for that role. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's key, mm -hmm. I think, in these. Uh, well, often when you really love a movie and then you read the book, you can't help but picture the actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are, t there, there are times where that's happened to me in reverse, where I read the book and I have one image of the person and then the movie really, you know, the movie either fit it seamlessly or took it over in my head. I mean, I have a hard time, you know, with Harry Potter not picturing the Harry Potter actors because we mm -hmm. saw them yeah. for so many movies, right. and I think they were very well cast. Yeah. Um, yeah, those, I mean, the third Harry Potter movie is definitely the only one that I think, like, really stands out as a piece of filmmaking, but they're pretty good. Like, I th you know, the the third one and then the final... Too, you know, I would I would make an argument that those were really I think successful. Good, especially, yeah. I mean, the biggest weakness they had was early on when they weren't adapting the material. They were just, mm -hmm. you know, taking the lines and taking the yeah. scene mm -hmm. and basically copying and pasting it over. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I loved, Flo you know, Philosopher's Stone as the book and the movie. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing it when it first came out. I was just like, it's exactly like the book. And then, like, the second rewatch, I'm like, it's exactly like the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is such a thing as being too faithful. For sure. Mm -hmm. And ignoring the fact that a movie is a movie. There's mm -hmm. actually an article on the AV Club that mm -hmm. I read eagerly about the entire Harry Potter movie series as an adaptation, and it ranks all of them, and it um, talks about the failures and successes of each particular movie as an adaptation, mm -hmm. um, and then as a piece of film. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend you read it. I'll, we'll link to it in the description. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's really interesting. I think you should read it. You would find mm -hmm. it enjoyable. But um, yeah, it looks like yeah. he has something he needs to say. Well, no, I just because I, I read Lord of the Rings before I saw the movies. Mm -hmm. I saw the illustrations after mm. uh, that Tolkien had. I'm just what are you thinking? Even though you made the story, but like Peter Jackson, <laughs> like those characters are like exactly what they like. I envisioned them, mm -hmm. as. and like. Even like Gollum, even it's just so perfect. I know mm -hmm. that's like a CGI rendition yeah. or whatever. Gollum but is really good. I, He's really I good. I agree. The one I I like especially had a gripe with was like 
Aragon is like perfect with Vigo Mortensen and the beard and everything, but there's a, this copy, it's like from the 70s, that has Aragon and he's like clean shaven and like blonde on the cover. And it's just like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Tolkien's illustration. Because yeah. I read the, I mean, my dad made me read the books mm-hmm. and so like I maybe had seen a poster, but I hadn't really, I just knew they were coming out and wanted mm-hmm. to see it. Um, and yeah, I really think that was one where they nailed it. Mm-hmm. Like those characters, real, or those actors like really inhabit those characters, mm-hmm. I think. Perfect. Yeah. I think the Lord of the Rings movies look really good. Yeah. I have my beefs with them. I think the last one actually was was perhaps the best. But the problem is, see, I I was raised by the ultimate Lord of the Rings fanatic. <laughs> my beloved father. Yeah, do, do not engage him in conversation about those movies <laughs> unless you want to hear a lot of like really overly violent profanity. <laughs> he hates them. And in fact, the funny thing is that he actually enjoyed the Hobbit adaptation more because, and I, I haven't seen them, but they looked terrible to me, but because apparently in those Hobbit, at least the first Hobbit movie, they, you know, lovingly lavished it with every tiny little detail they could possibly have dug <laughs> up. Um, and you know what he wanted really was every single word of the book, every mm. single mo, every single action, every single moment. He, I mean, as soon as he knew there would be no Tom Bombadil in the movies, he was basically like, "You're dead to me." <laughs> it's so funny, but I, I agree with him though that I think the Two Towers movie really did not, you know, really was not true to the spirit of that book. Um, the whole thing fair. with Boromir and Faramir, like yeah. when they introduce Faramir, and it's like, ooh, he's gonna be villainous. It's like, I mean, A, like I'm a huge Faramir fangirl. Yeah. Faramir and Eowyn are like the main reason why I love those books. Anyway, we could we could probably go on and talk yeah. about Lord of the Rings, and we should not. Well, but. that that raises an interesting question. Has there ever been a book that you've read and you had such a strong reaction to it that when they adapted it, you refused to see the movie? Because I have one. That I will die before I see the movie. Do tell. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, of course, now I can't think of the title. Um, Never Let Me Go. Oh. I, that book, I mean, that book, like, destroyed me. I sat down, I opened it, I read the entire thing. By the end of it, I was crying so hard that I gave myself a migraine. I went to sleep. I woke up. It was, like, 5.30 p.m. in the summer, 85 degrees, 100% humidity, and I was, like, totally disoriented, and my brain was just in the story still, and I was just done. Like, I didn't do anything for a whole day. I just had such a strong reaction to it. I don't know why. I just loved that book, and I fell so deeply, like, into that story that when I found out they were making a movie of it, I just took a stance. I was like, I will never see it because mm-hmm. it will never affect me the way that book, that mm-hmm. reading experience mm-hmm. did. And I still have not. And I've avoided like every, I've never even like watched a full trailer of it. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't want anything to mar that really intense reading experience mm-hmm. I had with that book. Fair enough. Kate, what's yours? My, <clears throat> the one, I, the movie I will never see is Jumper. That I love the book Jumper by Gould. Like it is, not the most extraordinary piece of science fiction. Um, the books tend to be kind of just, they're good, they're, but it was one of like the first science fiction books that I fell in love with. Kid Can Teleport. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it, the book actually deals, and it's been a while since I've read it, like with broken family issues, um, you know, maternal abandonment, there's abuse of dad, and like trying to have a relationship, and it's really like a coming of age story with science fiction and teleportation, which is great. And like in the previews I was watching they're just like you know planes and like an evil jumper and like teleporting into the middle of the Grand Canyon and falling through space I'm like no, no. 
Mm. You know, the sweet coming of age story that I remembered. I was like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. this is a bit too, like, I'm, I'm not good with adapting, but this is, like, way too far from the source material mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, I was trying to, I've, I was like, I feel sure that there is a book and movie like this for me, and I couldn't think of what it was. And I think, it's, I don't have quite as strong a stance on it as you do, but Cloud Atlas, oh. a wonderful book, mm-hmm. um, my wife's, one of my wife's favorite books. Um, a very, you know, a book that had a big impact on me while reading it. And when I heard they were making a movie, I'm just like, no, why? Why would you do that? This book is unfilmable. And then when I saw how they made it, I was like, I, there, nothing good could come of watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I will pass. That was with Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. yeah. And I don't what think is, got good reviews, What is Tom so Hanks that... doing in this movie? See, I, in all of these cases with Never Let Me Go and Jumper, I think the critics would agree with us that that uh, the movie was not a success. Yeah, I don't know. I've actually never talked to somebody who has seen the movie of Never Let Me Go I, and I read the book. Got like lukewarm so reviews. So I don't know. Um, but to me, it's just like it's such an like internal emotional story for Kathy that I can't imagine that being filmed well. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the books that are like really internal to the mm-hmm. narrator, like I have a hard time believing that they'll be well translated. Yeah. yeah. I think that's true because you have to find the, you have to do a great job on the screenplay and find the exact right character to portray yeah. the depth of emotion that you get from, mm-hmm. a, from yeah. a quality book. Yeah. The moral of the story is read books and watch movies in whatever order you like, but I recommend you watch the movie first. But you should go read the book after. I'm it's very to, important. We're going to have the test this weekend, see how we, how we enjoy our rival. Okay, now I'm starting to think you're right, John. Yeah. I really want to talk to you about what you don't like about persuasion, but I think we can that's, do that all, that's all the time we have. So uh, go read a book, kids. Bibliophiles is a production of Cary Memorial Library in Lexington, Massachusetts. Matt Schumann engineered the podcast and created our theme music. Do you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash library or on Twitter and Instagram at library. That's C-A-R-Y-M-E-M library. For show notes and to find out more about us, visit us at carrylibrary.org.